0: This week on the Southgate Student Ministry podcast, we finish off our study in the book of 1 John. What we do is we go in and we discuss this idea of what it means to be born again and how that truly is the most life changing moment that you have. When you're born again as a Christian, is it truly the most life changing moment of your life? Stick around. Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. I don't know if you noticed this, um, but the songs that we were singing, thank you Max for leading us, they were revolving around this idea of a victory, this idea of love, this this idea of winning. That's what we're going to see um, in this passage tonight. Uh, Tonight we're not going to get super fancy with a lot of things. We're just going to open up to this book. We're going to read through it. Um, and read through some things, and, and hopefully pull some things out that you can take and put into your life every, uh, every single day. Um, John is going to continue writing in the second half of the book. If you remember leading up to this point, the second half of 1 John has been all about this idea of loving others, loving your brother, loving your sister, loving God, and we've seen this pattern lead to this point In 1 John, where he's going to get here and start into a new paragraph that's going to kind of continue this discussion, but really bring out what it's supposed to mean in our lives. So 1 John, chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So John starts out this, this passage in chapter 5 of sitting here and saying, hey, you're born of God. He, he br- brings us up um, to, to just start this whole section. I think it's a little bit interesting. Uh, and what we're about to explore is that being born again is going to change our life. He brings up the idea that anyone who believes has been born of God. And what he's doing is he's referencing back to what Jesus said back in John chapter 3, his previous writing, what he experienced um, when he was with Jesus. So keep your thumb in 1 John chapter 5. Let's quickly go over to John chapter 3. I know I was just like, like, hey, go over to 1 John 5. But John chapter 3, real quickly, keep your um, hand in uh, John chapter 5. But or 1 John chapter 5, but, but John chapter 3 is, is where John's immediately referencing back to as he starts the beginning, kind of the end of this letter that he has written. I'm going to read what takes place in John chapter 3. Oh, man, this first John, John thing is super confusing for me. Um, but John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is a famous story. I'm sure many of you know it. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees, so it's a Pharisee, So when we're over here in in 1 John 5, what John is doing is he's immediately coming back to this reference and saying, hey, if you believe you're born again, he brings back this idea of a rebirth, and it's something that really doesn't make sense. If you have not been raised in a place where this is almost a normality to you, the idea of being born again is almost silly. It's it's crazy. And Nicodemus himself is sitting here and he expresses the exact idea that many of us sitting in this place of Nicodemus probably would have done. He sits here and, and questions it and says, this doesn't make sense. Jesus, why are you saying this type can an old person, can can those of us who are grown up re-enter into a mother's womb? Jesus, that doesn't make sense. But Jesus explains it, and something that stood out to me is he says, do not marvel at this. This is a normal idea if you're going to be a follower of me. You want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you must believe in me. And be born again and later on John is going to sit here in his book 1st John you can go ahead and head back there but back in his book of 1st John he's going to write this letter to the people at this time and he goes back and once again jumps right back into the teaching of Jesus a theme that he's been doing throughout the entirety of 1st John and goes back to this early statement of Jesus that if we believe belief being a verb here, an action word, something that is an active form of belief, not just a stale form of belief, that if Jesus is Christ, we will be born again. And when we are born again, like Jesus talked about in John 3, we will have the opportunity to be a part of his kingdom. And I think that it's it's interesting that Jesus used the phrase, born again, Because to me, as I go through it, it continuously, even though it does make sense, it doesn't make a ton of sense. And and so I have to ask the question, why use the phrase born again? Why is this the concept that Jesus decided to go with, that John decided to really grab hold of and, and discuss? He's the one that talks about all these stories. Why is John going after all these things? I want us to think right now about one of life's many wonders, the birth of a child. Um... Has, has, has anyone in this room, like, seen a birth of a human? I, I think it's incredibly frightening. I don't, like, th- think i would ever see that happen. But I want us to think about when a child is being born, how does that change a child's life? How does the birth of a child change the child's life? When, when a, a baby is sitting in the womb, sitting inside of its mother, it is very alive. living child and total peace. I want you to think for just a moment about, um, like obviously none of us remember being inside of our mothers, um, but just think about like how joyful of a time that was. You're sitting there, you don't have to eat, you're just fed naturally, you get to sleep whenever you want, it's always dark. Um, You're not having to exert any energy. I know it's a weird image, We're sitting here imagining what it is, Um, but as a child sitting in the womb, as someone who's alive, there's not really anything crazy taking place. And then out of nowhere on a day that they don't realize is coming, they are born. They're brought into the world, yes, that is a baby. Um. <laughs> why did everyone react like? oh <laughs> child <Why> you... <laughs> uh, it just was All right. <laughs> um. I don't know where a baby is born, and when when a baby is born. The transition to this world is not pleasant at all. It's miserable for the child. It's, it's miserable for the mother. The child cries. The mother cries. Nobody's happy. Um, and But there it is. Suddenly, after this baby is born, after a point of total misery for both the mother and the child, the baby gets to be in the arms. And then the joy takes place. The child's alive and happy in this world. We always talk about this transition from, like, like, like what's the biggest transition in your life? Like, like high school to college or college to the workforce. Like no, it's definitely from your mother's womb into the world. That is the largest change in our physical life. Everything that you can imagine changes at that moment. Suddenly we have to eat, we have to move. Not everything is just handed to us, especially like as we get older. We don't just have a dark place to sleep all the time. That's not life. We go from the ease of being a child in the womb to the difficulty of living on the planet. And the reason Jesus has chosen this analogy is because when we're in our spiritual walk, when we're born again, a huge change should be taking place. It should be the most drastic change of any decision we choose to make. Sure, going to college or Going into the workforce is great. Yeah, maybe getting married is a great, huge decision. Maybe having kids is a great decision. But if those things and other life changes induce bigger change in our life than being born again into the blood of Christ, we have missed what it means to be born again of Christ. i say that again. If, if other life changes than being born again into Christ, a bigger change in our life than being born again in Christ. We have missed what it means to be born into the blood of Christ. When it talks about this idea of being born again spiritually, it's actually deciding, like, hey, you're about to put your full faith into Christ, you're about to be baptized into Him, you're about to give yourself 100% to Jesus Christ to live your life for Him, and it looks a little bit different. When we're born again spiritually, it changes everything. We no longer rely on our parents' spirituality to be ours. Uh, We no longer, our life no longer includes worldly things. Our attitude towards life changes. We no longer get fed by other people, our spiritual uh, needs, but we feed ourselves, especially as we are growing. You start to have to live a little bit differently once you're born again because you don't get to just sit there in a tight bundle of 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 ease like you do when you're inside of a mother's womb. If you've been born again, has it truly changed your life? Has it changed your life in the same way, spiritually, that being born for the first time into this world would change the life of the newborn? Is it that drastic of a change for us? It's a big moment in our lives when we decide to be born again in Christ. That first verse ends with, And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. This is where that unity of what he has talked about in the previous uh, couple chapters, and chapter 3 and chapter 4, comes back into play. The common ground of every believer is a birth in Jesus Christ. When we think about this idea of like following Christ as a true birth, like when we compare it to our physical birth and we think about it in the same relation to like, like when we are born from our mothers as like when we first come to life and we think about it in that same light, I think the ideas of brothers and sisters in Christ become a little bit clearer. Maybe it changes our perspective a little bit. For example, I don't know about you guys, um, I'm sure many of you have siblings in this room uh and it's great to have siblings but i would say that probably a lot of you would not sit here and say like and, and maybe you're different maybe you're like yeah my siblings and I are our best friends like we get along everything um everyone's pointing at each other that's uh so cute um but like like i'm sure many of you would sit there and say like yeah like i love that person i get along with them but like if we weren't siblings we probably wouldn't hang out at all we probably wouldn't talk to each other a whole lot. I think about um, my sister. This is not a trash ses- session on my sister. She and I just aren't super similar. She's four years younger than I am. Um, she's a female. We would probably like be acquaintances and know of each other, but we probably wouldn't have ever run in the same friend groups or anything like that. But because we're siblings, we text each other, we give each other life updates. She'll call me and ask me for advice, and, and I'll call her and talk to her about her life, um, and all that sort of thing. Uh, one day I'll call her and ask her for advice. Um, since we share the commonality of a mother and a father, we're close. That's what brings us together. It's because our mother is the same person. Is this way with our Christian brothers and sisters, because we have that same commonality that, hey, we're born of Christ. We're born into him. We're born into this family, and we have all things in common. I think about in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter has given his lesson, and it says that the people there that day were cut to the heart, and they're like, well, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, and and... All your sins will be washed away and they'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they all say, all right, let's do it. And they all go and they're born again. Like 3,000 of them are added that day and they're born again into the blood of Christ. And just after that next two, verse 44, it says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. All who believed, all who were born again in Christ, minutes, but they had all things in common. Just like in the same way you have things in common with your siblings because you are siblings. These Christians say, hey, we have things in common with our brothers and sisters in Christ because we were born of Christ. And I get nervous that too often, I fear that too often, we allow other things to bring us closer together to a group of people than the blood of Christ does. If a political affiliation or a sports team or an acting group or a fan club or a workplace or anything like that brings you closer to each other where you would sit there and wrap your arm around somebody and say, this is my brother till the day I die. This is my sister till the day I die. And a place other than the church does that for you more than the church. I think we may have a little bit of a skewed view of what the church truly is. How we understand that we have been born again with our siblings in Christ we already show them the love that talks about right here whoever loves the father loves whoever has been born of him show them the love that we would show our siblings here on earth I want us to keep going um, verse 2 by this we know that we love the children of God so how do we know this when we love God and obey his commandments. John sits here and starts addressing uh, this idea that there are clear signs when people decide they want to follow Christ. John has come out this whole section of writing where he has talked about how we should love others um, and how we should love our brothers and sisters in Christ and and all that type of thing. And he goes into the second, like, really sentence or third sentence of this paragraph. um, He goes into this part of this paragraph Coming off the idea that we should be born again. And he says that to show the, like, to show that we love the children of God, that we're a part of that, he says, by the way, you must obey his commandments. And we live in a society right now where when we see the phrase like obey his commandments, we shrivel up. We sit there and we're like, Mm, I don't love hearing that and if you're not at that point where you're like obey his commandments like if you're not like Sitting there right now like that kind of gets on my nerves. You probably will be at some point You get to a point and and it's who we are. It's our society. It's our culture. It's Millennials and Gen Z Which is by the way all of us Um, (laughs) Millennial Gen Z Um, It's all of us who sit here and hate the idea of following commandments when people sit here and say to us like you need to do this you need to do this thing because i'm telling you to do it we're like oh yeah you want to bet and we get um we get combative about it studies have been done uh about our generations um especially in the workplace because it's heavily been affecting uh the workplace and so i know that that gen z has not yet been fully immersed into the workplace but what we're seeing is is commonality you guys in, in us uh, and here are some things that they have found about our generations in the workplace one we don't value 20th century workplace rules what we mean by that or what they mean by that is like like if somebody were to say hey you need to wear a tie to work or you need to wear a dress to work we would sit there and say why and they would respond, well, that's how it's always been done. We would say, that's dumb, I'm wearing jeans and a t-shirt because I don't interact with people on a face-to-face basis like the customer. We get upset, we don't want to follow the rules that we don't feel like matter. We don't want to be another cog in the wheel. As in, we don't want to sit there and, and just like be another person that gets inserted into something and goes on with it. Studies have shown that 76% of millennials and this will continue with Gen Z, will choose a a profession or a job that they're passionate about over one that makes them money. So like 76 out of 100 people would sit there and turn down a much higher paycheck in order to do something that they care about and that they love if they're not passionate about the thing that makes them more money. Another thing about our generations, we wanna have our voices heard. we feel like we can sit there and have feelings that mean just as much as anyone else's, so why should somebody be able to tell me what to do? And this one's like almost like a strictly business setting. Um, we don't like business software. So a lot of people would sit there, and I know this is like, why are we discussing this? We'll get to it in a minute. A lot of people would sit there and be like, like I sit here and I play on my phone, as in like I have a nice phone, I have generally have like a cool Mac that works super well, and I have all my software up to date because that's who I am. And I walk into the office, and what you give me is old and outdated, and you don't want to learn a new software, so you're not giving me anything new. And so we, as a generations, get annoyed when things seem outdated. And obviously, like I said, these things are very workplace related. But what we have happening though is that this concept, this Idea. This mentality that, that we just went through with these four things is, is creeping into our church society. Our our personalities don't want set church rules just because we feel like they're there. Maybe because we feel like our parents have done them or maybe not done them and now are telling us to do them all our lives. We don't like uh, when like we're treated like some ordinary person and we're not getting... Um, to have a say in anything that's taking place. We, We don't like it when we walk into a church building and things feel outdated and things feel old and we feel like the people there are out of touch with what's currently going on. We don't like those things. We don't value any of it. And so when we sit here and we hear this idea of, of, hey, we need to follow God's commandments to show that we love, that John's talking about here in 1 John, our reaction is an immediate cringe. Our reaction is an immediate distaste, like, yeah, I don't want to follow the rules that you're throwing at us because we don't care about the rules. And yet John sits here and writes these profound statements to start off this paragraph that ends his book by saying, one, you have a common ground with everyone who's been baptized into Christ, and that's a birth in Jesus Christ. Oh, by the way, if you want to show that you have that common ground with people, if you want to be somebody that's going to have that common ground where you are a family with everyone around you, you are going to need to follow his commandments. There's no option. And if we sit here and say, well, we don't feel like it, he would quickly turn around and look at us and say that clearly we have not been born of him. But then we keep going to verse 3. He says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Once again, he simply writes that the love of God is, is keeping his commandments. And part the next part of that verse goes on and says, In his commandments are not burdensome. Our little minds have convinced us that following the word of God is burdensome. Our minds have convinced us, and our culture has convinced us, that that if we decide, like, yes, I want to follow God, like, that's the hard thing to do. That's the burdensome thing to do. That's the thing that, like, man, if you really want a tough challenge, like, like, be a Christian. That's the really difficult thing. We sit there and, and, we, and we feel like we sit here and, 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 and we say, like, that's burdensome. Yet living a life of guilt is not burdensome. Yet living a life where we have control of everything in our life is not burdensome. Living a life where we feel like we're the most powerful person in our life is not a burden. And we can keep going on and on. But you want to talk about burdensome It's not sitting here handing our lives to God. The commandments of God are not burdensome at all. Oh, wait, wait, you're saying that that I can't go drink so much that I get drunk, That that's really that burdensome? Oh, wait, you're saying that, that I can't um, like take part in sexual immorality, that's burdensome? You're saying that I can't go out and use language or tell jokes or, or do anything like that. that's burdensome? That's what we say here in our culture in the United States of America, when we feel like the burdensome thing is not being able to do some things that we want to, not being able to indulge in like, the pleasures of life that we so much want. Verse 4, For everyone who has been warned of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, faith is the victory, we just sang it. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Why is it not burdensome? Because when we decide, you know what we're going to do? We're going to follow the Word of God. We have victory in Him, and we overcome the world. If we want to sit here and sing these songs that we just talked about with the mentality of being able to say, like, yes, I have victory in Jesus. Yes, faith is the victory. Yes, I'm going to overcome the world. This is who I'm going to be. It takes understanding that following the commandments of God Are not burdensome. We will overcome the world for the sake of time. What time is it actually? Twenty-five. We're not going to have time to like go in and read all the rest. Obviously, we went through the first five verses. I want to go through and pick out a few things that I have noticed um, so far. Verse eleven, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son. Has life, whoever does not have the sun does not have life. Something that sticks out to me when I read this passage, and like as I was reading this um, leading up to this class today, the thing that stuck out to me the most, like I was standing, you know, like the things that stick out to you are what you think about while you're standing in the shower. Um this these are my shower thoughts. Um that like everyone people relate to that, right? I'm like looking for Alright, sweet, okay. Um cool. this this is what stuck out to me of everything that we studied, this is what sticks out to me. Is that he's wrapping up this book, he's getting close to the end of this letter, and he brings up the idea of eternity. And it gets me thinking, what does eternity look like? He's talking about two things in this book. Uh, he's talking about walking in the light and walking in love. And when looking down the long road of eternity... By the way, the road that we can't see the end of and that we really can't grasp at all, it kind of brings us up and it's like, how hard are they to do? Okay, yeah, you have two options here. You have the option of eternal life and joy or eternal life and misery. And by the way, what you can do to make sure you guarantee your spot of an eternal life and joy is by walking in light and loving other people. You want to get to that end of the road peacefully and with happiness you will choose to walk with the Lord. The other thing that I think stands out is how he ends it. Verse 20, And we know the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we might know Him who is true and we are in Him uh, who is true In His Son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. brings up that idea of eternal life again. And then he ends the book with this idea, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And it made me sit here and say, why would he end the book with keep yourself from idols? He's gone through all this other really just gorgeous writing where he sat here and reiterated the same thing over and over again. And, and you would think he would end it with like, oh, and love everyone. And But he says, no, 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 keep yourself from idols. I think when we look at our lives, the thing that will keep us away from walking in the light and loving others is the consumption of idols In our life, what are we doing to keep ourselves from idols? As we wrap up this whole class, where we sat here and gone through the start to finish of the book of First John, what are we doing? What is last warning of keeping ourselves from idols? What are the idols in our life that we worship, and how much effort do those things get compared to our walk with God? we want to walk in light and love, we have to avoid idols. Thank you so much for joining us in this study of 1 John. We hope you have enjoyed it. If you missed the earlier sections of this study, be sure to go back and listen to them and, and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get notified when we post future lessons that you can be a part of. Thank you so much. Have a great day.